Ravi Zacharias. Many of you familiar with Ravi? Yeah? Smart guy. Really smart. I, I find that when I read Ravi, I read it and I say, did I? No, I better read it again. I didn't get that first time. Read it again and then uh, it might take two or three times, but uh, really profound stuff. Here's, here's what he said. I've been quoting this for 10 years. You've probably heard it a dozen times, but I really, today I want this to get kind of tattooed and super glued on your memory stick in your brain, okay? So my goal is at the end of this sermon, you'll be able to quote this and it'll stick because I'm telling you it'll help. It really will, okay? Jesus didn't come to earth to make bad people good. Jesus came to earth to make dead people alive. And if you don't get that down, then we don't have very good answers for people who think they're good. Do you understand? Jesus didn't come to earth to make bad people start acting good. Jesus came to earth to make dead people, everybody dead spiritually, alive. And that is huge. So I want you to repeat after me. Okay, this is the start. You're going to hear this about a dozen times today, okay? So, oh, here we go again. Yep. But, but I am hopeful that most of you, when you leave, you'll remember this. It's huge. Jesus didn't come to earth to make bad people good. Jesus came to earth to make dead people alive. If you're taking notes, write that down, then you can go to sleep. That's pretty much what the whole sermon's going to be about, okay? Uh, that's, that's the focus today. The most crucial question in life is how can we be reconciled or made right with a holy, righteous God? Track with me. That's the most important question. How can I, uh, as a sinner, be okay with holy, righteous God? And I quote Dr. John MacArthur, there really are only two possibilities. Ultimately, if you boil it all down, two possibilities. Uh, One is through human achievement, human effort, good works. I'm going to earn my way. I'm going to merit salvation. And oh, by the way, most Americans, according to George Gallup and George Barna, They believe, even people in churches like ours, most believe that when you stand there and it's at the entrance to the pearly gates, weigh your good stuff and your bad stuff, and if your good stuff outweighs your bad stuff, how you get to heaven. Most Americans believe that. Most Americans buy into that thinking. Um, Every religion that's ever existed apart from biblical Christianity, give me your eyes, every religion apart from biblical Christianity is based on some form of being morally good, on some form of human effort, human work. We've called it before the do program. Get busy, work, do it, and then maybe you'll do enough that God will let you into heaven. So here's the possibilities, you ready? Human effort, human achievement, good works, 
Or the other possibility is divine accomplishment. What do you mean by that? Meaning Jesus on the cross. Meaning his shed blood for mankind. Meaning Jesus arising from the dead, defeating sin and Satan and death. It's either the do program, we've got to work our tails off and earn our way into heaven, or what's the other possibility? It's the done program. And Jesus has completed it, and it's done. Meaning the good work was accomplished by who? Who was the work accomplished by? Jesus on the cross. He did it, it's done, and our duty is to, by faith, believe and then receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. Now, I want to give you a little, little uh, background before we jump into our passage in Luke. Um, the Jews of Jesus' day had lost their way. The Jews of Jesus' day, um, they should have been looking for the Messiah to come on the scene, right? They should have been looking for the Savior to come and be the source of salvation. But they lost their way. And instead of looking for the Messiah and the Redeemer, they built this system. They built a regulations, rules, good works system, and they thought, you know what, if we can just be really good at keeping the laws, keeping the traditions, doing the rituals, then surely God will be okay with us. Uh, They believed that they would uh, be okay because the Messiah, when he came, he was going to come for bad people. But they weren't bad people. They were what kind of people? They were like really good people. So therefore, when, when the Messiah comes, I'm living such a good moral life, I won't need saving. I won't need rescuing because I'm really, really, what? I'm really good. Yeah. Um, So Jesus tells them this parable we're going to look at today to shock them, to wake them up out of their good works, I would call it religiosity. You want to say that word with me? Religiosity. It's kind of fun. Yeah, I feel kind of smart. Yeah. Uh, Kind of shock them, wake them up. Excuse me, Mr. Self-Righteous, proud person. Uh, That's not good enough. That's not acceptable. Okay, so that's why we're going to look at this parable today. So if you are able, would you please stand with me? And uh, Jesus is going to turn the tables on his listeners. He's going to start in verse 9, and we'll conclude at verse 14. And let's out loud read God's word together. See how bright that is? Doesn't that look great? Yeah, here we go. To some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Let's pray. 
Lord, thank you. Thank you that uh, you give us exactly what we need in your book. And uh, thank you that we can even worship you as we study your book together in your church with uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, help us to see clearly what it is that uh, Dr. Luke meant when he was inspired by your spirit to record this parable for us. Lord, we really believe it's for us today. It's alive. It's active. It's uh, able to speak and challenge and convict. So please do all of that. Help us to know, Lord, why the tax collector went home justified and the really good guy wasn't. Lord, help us to understand that. Uh, I pray for those who are in your church this morning who are hurting and struggling and feeling stressed and overwhelmed with life. I, I pray, Lord, for those who are coming off a really bad week. Lord, we're glad that we can gather together in the family, the body of Christ. And Lord, help us to notice those around us who are hurting, who are struggling. Lord, to help us to be really good at loving and caring for one another. I'm asking right now, Lord, that you'll help Jeff to get out of the way. Help us, Lord, to hear clearly from you through your word. And all the church gathered at Walloon said with one strong voice, Amen. You may be seated. Verse 9. Why we're getting this parable. Look at, look at your Bible if you have it with you. To some, to some who were confident of their own righteousness... And we're looking down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. So Jesus tells us, why am I giving you this parable? Um, because throughout history, there are some who have a misdirected state of their own self-righteousness. That's how Dr. Bach says it in his commentary. They, they think their own self-worth, they think their own self-effort are acceptable to God. And God will say, wow. You're pretty amazing. Come on into heaven. They think they are superior and better than others. That's why, verse 9, Jesus gives this parable. Now, here's what's interesting. When we come to the end of the parable, the bad man in this story comes alive, and the good man in this story winds up dead. Isn't that interesting? Uh, it's like it, he flips the tables on him. Now, before we dig into verses 10 to 12, I want to explain how those who were listening would have understood verses 10 to 12, okay? Because today when we say Pharisee, what do you think? Not, not, not very good. We, we don't like the word. If somebody called you a Pharisee, Paul, would you be happy about that? No, today we wouldn't like that. But please understand when Jesus said these words, the Pharisees were the good guys. The Pharisees were the ones wearing the white hats. They were the highest ranking of God's people, Israel. Okay? They, they were the most religious. They were the hardest working. They were the most moral. They were, they were the best of the best. They were the Eagle Scouts, if you will. Uh, they were the valedictorians, the honor society. These were the Navy SEALs of the day. Are you tracking with me? They, they were the best. They were like, you'd say, 
Pharisee and you'd say, wow, <laughs> I wish I was one of those. Or, or I wish my daughter would marry one of those. That's how you'd think of the Pharisees. And the tax collectors were the ultimate villains in Israel. Okay? They cheated and they lied to their fellow Jews. Track with me. The tax collectors, you know, in the old westerns, they would be the ones wearing the black hats. They, they, were, the bad, they, they were the bad guys. They were cooperating with the hated Romans, and they would cheat, and they would lie, and they would overcharge, and they would gouge anybody and everybody they could get. Uh, especially they preyed on people who couldn't afford to hand over their money. Okay, So they were ripping off people. That was their job. They, they were ripping people off. One writer said these would have been the drug dealers of our day. How do you think about a drug dealer? That's how they felt about the tax collectors. So I'm going to read verses 10 to 12, and I want you to respond, listen to me, how the people that were listening to Jesus give this parable would have been responding in their heads, okay? So when, when I mention the Pharisees, okay, and I'm going to start reading in verse 10, what are you going to do? You're going to cheer. You're going to go, yeah, Pharisees! You can clap, give a thumbs up. That's my man, okay? When I say tax collector, what are you going to do? Oh, hiss, thumbs down, okay? Okay? So isn't this good? This is Interactive Sunday. Uh, verse 10, here we go. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee. And the other, a tax collector. The Pharisee <laughs> stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. That was an usher. <laughs> but, but, the tax collector, that's really how they would have thought. Okay? Nice job, interactive crowd. Give yourself a hand. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, the two men were polar opposites. The most respected and the most despised. Okay? So what's interesting is that everything the Pharisee said about himself was true. That, that, we, we listened to him talk about himself, but you need to understand he was just speaking truth about who he was and what he did. Uh, the Pharisees fasted on Mondays and Thursdays, and there's some theories about why having to do with when Moses came down from the mountain, um, they were great at giving. They were, they were tithers. They tithed on the gross, not the net. You ever wondered about that? Well, the Pharisees, they, they tithed on the gross, not, not the net. Uh, they didn't lie. They didn't cheat. They were above board in everything. They never, ever would cheat on their wives. They were honest. They were moral. 
So I just want you to understand, he really was genuinely a wonderful, good man. This isn't something made up. They really were the best of the best. Pharisees really were uh, someone that you would want to live next door to you, okay? Um, uh, So when he prayed, look at what he says. Verse 10, I'm glad I'm not like these other losers. He was just being honest. Lord, I'm grateful that you've showed me how to be such a wonderful guy. And he was right. He was an outstanding citizen. Okay? They were the religious elite. Uh, You wanted a Pharisee in your family. You could count on him. Honest. Trustworthy. Uh, they would persevere under hard times. They, they hung. You would want a Pharisee in your church. I think we would love a Pharisee or two in our church. Uh, they loved God's Word. They were great givers. They'd jump in. They would serve. They were the goodest of the good men. Sorry, English teachers. Uh, in the day of Jesus, they were the few, the proud, the Pharisee. So you need to understand, these these were amazing people, and I mean that. Now watch as Dr. Luke, okay, he's looking at, he's got the camera, John, pointed right at the Pharisee, and now he focuses on the guy with the black hat, the bad guy. Verse 13, here we go. But the tax collector, you guys are amazing today stood at a distance. In other words, he's way back. He, he won't even go up close to the temple itself. He's probably out in the court of the Gentiles. He would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his pre- breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I want you to understand that he was telling the truth too. Just as the Pharisee was a really, really good outstanding guy this would have been a really major sinner he probably lied and cheated thousands and thousands of times because that was his job rome expects this much you overcharge and then you get to keep the difference okay he charged more than he was really due he took money from the poor and the destitute he literally made money off the back of his people fellow Jews, okay? So through the Roman sword and through their power, he got rich, and they hated them, okay? Uh, When he prays, here's how the Greek reads. Go back to verse 13. Um, The tax collector said, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. That's exactly how the Greek reads, the sinner, meaning I am capital T, capital H, I am the sinner. I'm the worst sinner that's ever been born, is what the tax collector says in his prayer. And what would his fellow Jews have said in response? Can I get an amen? Yeah, they they would have said, amen, you are a crook. You are a cheat. You are a liar. You you are a sinner. And, and, And if they had him, they would have thrown rotten tomatoes and rotten eggs at him and spit upon him. They hated the tax collectors. So do you got the contrast here? Because that's what Jesus is trying to paint for us, okay? You got this man who is good, 
and is good and very moral and more good in a day than most Jews are good in an entire year. That's the kind of guy he is. And right next to him is the worst sinner of the day. Okay? We don't talk to you. We don't touch you. We don't like you. We hate you. We speak poorly of you. We curse at you. You are a traitor. You are a tax collector. Okay. Now, the good man ends up dead. And now the bad man ends up alive. And, and that's where this gets kind of crazy. Uh, verse 14, here's what it says. I tell you, this is Jesus talking into the parable. This man, that's the one who just prayed, this tax collector, uh, I am the sinner. He's the one who went home justified before God. The bad guy, the one with the black hat, is the one who is in right standing with God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. <clears throat> and I'm sure the listeners right now are thinking, what? What? What are you talking about, Jesus? How does the bad man get justified and the good guy get, gets left with nothing? Uh, time out, Jesus. Uh, you got this really good, outstanding, moral, righteous, religious man and, and, and this awful guy ends up with eternal life? What's up with that? Why, why is that happening? You want to know the answer? The answer is because the bad man knew he was dead. The bad man, the tax collector, realized, Lord, unless you show me mercy, I am toast. Lord, unless you come and, and rain down your grace and mercy on me, I am spiritually dead and I am going to get what I deserve, which is eternal judgment. He knew he was in trouble, and he cries out, look at verse 14, for mercy. Lord, show mercy on... If you don't show me mercy, I'm headed to hell. He knew it. He knew he was in trouble. Have mercy on me, he cried out. I am the worst sinner. I am the sinner. I'm the worst sinner I know. He knew he hadn't earned anything from the Lord. He realized he hadn't been good. He was very, very what? He was bad. He was bad, which is why he was opening, open to receiving grace and mercy. Because like many of us have discovered, guess who the people who are the most receptive to the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, typically? Those who are the greatest sinners. Why? Because they know they're not good. I know I'm in deep trouble. I know when I stand before a holy, righteous God, I know I'm in deep, deep trouble. And, and they're usually the ones who are most open to receiving grace. The greatest sinners are, have the potential of being the greatest followers of Jesus Christ. But the Pharisee, let's just go back to verse 10 a little bit. All he did was boast. <laughs> All he did was inform God, do you know how good I am? Do you know how lucky you are to get me? I'm a real catch. I'm like one of the best of the best. You're lucky, God, to have me on your team. Aren't you glad you got to pick first? Because you got me. 
And, and now I'm not like these other spiritual losers out there, and I'm really, really good on the outside. Track with me. But he thought he was so good with God that he didn't need mercy. He didn't need God's grace. I, I don't need you to do because I'm already good. I, I'm already one of the best. Which is why the Ravi quote is so essential. Jesus didn't come to earth to make bad people good. Jesus came to earth to do what? Say it with me. To make dead people alive. That's huge. Because if you don't get that, then you're not going to have an answer for the people around you who say, but I'm really good. I'm a nice person. Yes, you are. But Jesus came to make all of us who are dead spiritually alive. Okay, I want to show you this illustrated live and in color in the Apostle Paul's life. So if you have your Bible, turn quickly with me to uh, the book of Philippians, would you? Um, Paul, before he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, was all about being a Pharisee of the Pharisee. Self-effort, self-righteousness. Uh, he gives it his all, zealous, energetic, uh, passionate about the law. Uh, chapter 3 of Philippians, um, slide down to verse 4. Here's Paul's credentials. Uh, here's his resume, okay? Uh, I'm sending in my resume, and I'm just telling you it's impressive. Verse 4, chapter 3. Uh, Though I myself have reasons for confidence in who I am. If anybody else thinks they have reason to put confidence in their flesh, I've got them beat. I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, what was he? A Pharisee. Yay! As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, Ain't nobody going to beat me. Faultless. And everybody said, wow, Paul, you are a good, religious, hardworking, amazing man. He's on our team. I'm glad we got first pick. But after Paul had an encounter with Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, I want you to see, starting in verse 7, next verse, Look, look how everything changes. His passion, his direction, his focus. Verse 7, but whatever were gains to me, that, that's his resume, that's his self-effort, that's his hard work, I now consider what? Loss for the sake of Christ. What is more? I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider all of that self-effort, all of that hard work, all that being good, all that do program, I consider that all, what, what word does he use? It's just garbage. <laughs> it's, it's nothing but rubbish. It, it's garbage that I may gain Christ. That's the focus and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own, self-effort, good works that comes from the law, but that which is in, through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis 
of faith. Isaiah 64, 6. All our good works are nothing but uh, filthy rags. Um, Y'all familiar with this stuff? Mm. I bet you if you run out, someone's running to the store. (laughs) Isn't it true? Can I just tell you? This is the filthy rags of today. Okay? Uh, Charmin and Scott, they weren't active in that day. Okay? So uh, if, if, uh, if in those days... Uh, you had to go, and you, I hate, this is church, right? But I just got to tell you, they, they had to go like we have to go, okay? So their solution was, you know, old discarded rags, okay? That, that, that's, that's what they used, okay? So when it says, all our righteousness, all my good efforts, the, the best stuff that I can offer God is nothing but, used filthy now use your imagination okay uh got this balcony nothing but used dirty soiled toilet paper that's the best that we've got to offer to god isaiah 64 6 i'm just telling you the the due program falls short every time i'll get this back on the roll honey uh home yeah yeah yeah, that was me. <laughs> she, she sees stuff missing on Sundays. I, I don't know where he took it. Yeah. Uh, so if, if that doesn't cut it, uh, if the best efforts we've got doesn't hack it with God, if our self-effort doesn't cut it with a holy, righteous God, what is it that's needed? Give me your eyes right now. It's only through a personal life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ that dead people come alive. You tracking with me? If, if you can't do it with the do program and make it with a holy, righteous God, he says, not acceptable, dirty, used toilet paper. What do you need? You need a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. You need to go to the cross, and you need to allow what Jesus did for us. What is that? That's the done program to make dead people come alive. Okay. So how does this apply to us this morning? Because I think some of you are thinking, well, um, pretty sure I'm not a Pharisee, right? I don't think I qualify to be a Pharisee. And some of you are thinking... But I'm pretty sure I'm not a tax collector either, you know. So I'm somewhere here in the middle. So if I'm not a Pharisee and I'm not a tax collector, um, what's the takeaway for me here this morning? Okay, here's the first thing. If you're taking notes, here we go. Most of the people we rub shoulders with who don't go to church much or maybe don't go to church ever, Most of the people we walk through life with and rub shoulders with, they think if they put their good works on the scale, 
you know, and, and now they're at the scale in the sky and put their good stuff here and then they put their bad stuff here, that they're going to be okay. And you need to remember that. Most of them are counting on the big scale in the sky and then that, now they're going to compare themselves, okay? So I'm putting it in, and I'm a little unsure, but I'm like way better than those drug dealers over there. And, and I'm really better than those child abusers, amen? And for sure I'm better than those politicians going nuts right now, right? So I'm going to compare just like the Pharisee to, to the rapists and the prostitutes and all the ugly people so surely, God, you're lucky to have me, right? I'm on your team. You're going to let me in. So when people are banking on being good and doing lots of good works to earn their way to heaven, you know what? This saying is essential for us to have in our brain. Okay? Repeat after me. Jesus didn't come to earth to make bad people good. Jesus came to earth to make dead people alive. Do you understand now why that's important? Because they're thinking, I'm pretty good, especially if you compare me to others, especially the really bad, bad ones. Um, and, and I'm just telling you, you got to know that because it's not about being bad or good. It's about being alive spiritually. And that only comes through Jesus Christ. Okay? Here's a little pro tip. Ready for a pro tip? The people you run into who you realize they are the biggest sinners you know? Who's the biggest sinner you know? You thinking right now? And hopefully you're not looking at me and thinking, I think it's you. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking the same thing about you right now. Uh, um, but think about the greatest sinner you know right now. The biggest lost cause in your brain right now. Can, can I just tell you that likely they are a strong candidate to saying, yeah, I, I need God's mercy in my life. So we, we got it wrong. Those are the people who realize uh, there's no do program in my life. Uh, there's not much good in me. There's, there's not much uh, moral effort going on in me. And I'm just telling you, when, when you meet those people, you need that little, little red flag needs to fire in your brain. Oh, yeah, these are the people who are usually most open to Jesus and the cross. So don't give up on them, just the opposite. Those are the people to start praying for, right? Okay, second application and we're done. Who are the people today who are most like the Pharisees back then? Okay, they loved God's word. The Pharisees were people of the law. It's said that many of the Pharisees would memorize entire books of the, the Torah. They, they would memorize uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Can you imagine? These were people who memorized God's Word. These were people who, before they would do anything, would pause and say, is there a law? Is there a teaching that this applies to? Should I do it? Should I not? They were very thoughtful people. They were people who would work. They, they, would, they would serve. They, they would give their all. They were givers. I'm telling you what, these were the tithers. These were the people who made the temple 
be able to continue on because they gave the money. They served the cause. Now, if you're thinking with me, I'm just here to tell you, who are the people today who were most like the Pharisees back then? Um, And I'm just telling you, it's people in churches just like ours. I just want you to know that if we're not careful and we're all about, uh, well, i got to do this, and i and I, and I got to give here, and, and I need to read here, and i got my devotions here. Listen closely. You don't get into heaven because you're a part of a Bible-believing church. That's, that's the danger. Because like the Pharisees, zealous, love God's Word, I know my religious routine. I know all the songs. I know when to stand. I know when to sit. I know when to clap. I got it down. But if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you're going to be just like the Pharisee here. You're going you're to wind up separated from an eternal, holy, righteous God. Okay? Without the shed blood of Christ and the mercy of Jesus Christ, Jesus said, on the day of judgment, many who were active in doing stuff and, and giving and, and active in my, in my cause are going to be shocked on the day of judgment. I'm convinced when we get to glory, we're going to get up there and we're going to run into a few people and you're going to say, what in the world are you doing here? You are like the last person I ever expected to be in heaven. How, how did that happen? And you're probably going to talk, and they're going to say, you know what, I I realized what a great sinner I am. And I I knew, Lord, if you didn't have mercy on me, I was toast. And and you'll think, yeah, I thought you were toast. I thought it was was lost cause. Uh, And and yet, they've come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and they're going to be there. And, and, And I think we're going to be shocked by a few of the people who are missing people who looked really, really good on the outside. Think about it. And man, that's the nicest person I know. And they were good and they were moral and they were in church every Sunday and they were in a small group and and they even served. Where where are they? (laughs) They're like the Pharisee. They they were good, but, but they never cried out, Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. They never realized they needed the mercy and the grace of the cross in their life. Jesus didn't come to earth to make bad people what? Jesus came to earth to make dead people what? It explains a whole lot. That's what this parable is all alive, all about. You know what? Being a good person, that might have, you know, okay, that once, once you become a follower, then we're made for good works, but that doesn't gain you entrance into the new heaven and new earth. It's about knowing Jesus for me and for you. Bow your heads. Shut your eyes as we close. Did you know that the worst sinners often make the best followers of Jesus? 
So maybe you're here today and you are like a major league sinner. And you would never even think of trying to earn your way to heaven. And you know that great scale in the sky, it's going to be lopsided with bad stuff. I've got great news for you today. Jesus came to seek and to save sinners. Even major league sinners like me. And even right now, Jesus offers eternal life to big-time sinners. So if that's you here today, I just want you to know you are a candidate for the mercy and the grace of God Almighty. Maybe you're here today and you are a really good religious person. Like one of the nicest, always looking out for the good of others. You don't miss church, you serve, you put money in the plate, you're in a small group. Here's what you need to know. Without a personal relationship with Jesus on the inside, until you cry out to Jesus for mercy because you're a sinner, until you receive Jesus as the only remedy for your sin problem, eternal life is not available. I don't care how good you are, how nice you are, how moral you are, no matter how rigorous your due program is, coming to church won't give you eternal life. Nice, moral, religious rituals don't save anybody. Eternal life begins just like the tax collector's prayer. Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus, you shed your blood for me on the cross. You gave your life for mine, and I believe that it's only through your work on the cross that eternal life can come to my life. And if you're here today and you're thinking, you know what, I'm, I'm a great sinner, well, we have a great Savior. Or maybe you're realizing, you know what, I'm, I'm a really religious, nice, good person, and I'm just telling you, the due program is not going to stand the test on the Day of Judgment. It's only the done program. It's only what Jesus did for you. Right where you're seated, Jesus, have mercy on me today, a sinner. I realize I can't earn or work my way to eternal life. It's only through what you did for me on the cross. You shed your blood for my sin problem. You took my place in the tomb. Early on Sunday morning, you arose for me from the dead, defeated sin and Satan death. Jesus, you did that for me. Bring new life to this sinner right now today. I receive you as my king, my savior, my forever friend. If you made that choice today, if you prayed that prayer with me today, would you please tell somebody before you leave? Okay? Because it's with your mouth you confess.
It's with your mouth that you share that Jesus is now your Lord and Savior. So if you made that choice today, please tell somebody before you leave. I'd love to hear it. I'm going to be at the middle doors. But you tell somebody. With your mouth, you confess. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Thank you, Lord, for this very simple parable that explains a lot. And thank you for... uh, Warning not just the Pharisees, but you're warning us today about the danger of pride, the danger of self-righteousness, the danger of trying to be on the due program. We love you. We thank you for giving us your word. And now thank you for this opportunity we have now to stand and worship your son, Jesus the one who completed the done program for each and every one of us. We have a whole lot of reason to worship and honor and glorify him. It's in his name we pray all these things. Amen. Stand with